Um, we're going to read the Bible now um, on page six of your zines, starting with from Psalm 133. A song of a sense of David. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. For where the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. And Acts 18. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. When Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, the brothers and sisters encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. When he arrived, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed, for he vigorously refuted his Jewish opponents in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. And finally, from Luke 14. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I've just got married so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, if I haven't met you, a warm welcome. Uh, we're going to be looking at tonight sharing the table, hospitality, for the last four weeks, we've been looking at the subject of habits. Uh, as Beck said earlier, character is largely a bundle of, of habits. Habits form us into certain kinds of people. So we've been thinking about well, what are the habits that should form us as individuals, but also as a community of God's people. And so in the first week, we looked at the habit of hearing his voice. Uh, in the scriptures, we hear God's voice. The second week we looked at the habit of having his ear, that we, that we can speak back to God uh, in prayer. Last week we looked at being at the table, the importance of gathering together as his people. And part of that is the celebration of the meal that we have in the Lord's Supper, where we celebrate who we are in Christ. And then this final week we're looking at sharing the table, which is a theme of, of hospitality. 
And today I just want to address that both as a theme of something that we should do, but also a posture of our hearts. So hospitality is something that we do, but it's also a posture of our hearts. So let's pray as we begin our time together. Father, thank you for your word. We thank you that you speak to us, that we hear your voice. And so we pray now that as we uh, listen, uh, that you might help me to teach clearly uh, the truth and that you would stir us, challenge us, and change us. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to begin by telling you something about uh, something that I love. I love tables. If I had to choose another profession, I think I'd be a table maker. I don't even know if that's the right word for it. But I did D&T in high school, and the, the rocking chair is not good kind of image of the potential for me in that field. But anyway, I love tables. I love the wood. I like my table. I like its grain. I like its smell. I like its feel, except for the, the kind of caked wheat bix underneath. But, but I love tables. And our table has been in two countries and in seven houses. And so, as you can tell, there's a lot of flux there. There's a lot of change there. But the table's been this kind of thing that's been there all along. In the midst of unideal circumstances or, or flux, it's always transformed a place, even a temporary place, into a home. I'd sooner lose the sofa than the table any day of the week. See, the tables communicate so many things. For me, they communicate industry. At our table, there's schooling, there's learning, there's, there's making. Uh, it communicates kind of domestic duties. There's peeling, there's brewing, there's washing, there's polishing. The table communicates creativity. There's sewing, there's painting, there's writing. But principally, what a table communicates, isn't it? It's relationships. Because around a table, family, friends, there's laughter, there's tears, there's arguments, and there's meals. So, tables communicate so much to us. And so, if there was one application from tonight, it would be buy a table and you can make it home. <laughs> Just stirring. But there's some truth in that. Uh, Tim Chester, in his book, A Meal with Jesus, says, uh, as you read through uh, Luke's gospel, what you see is, is Jesus in a series of meals, or it's a series of different tables. And as you read through, it's striking how much of this happens. See, Jesus came to seek, serve, and save... But we read in Luke 7 that Jesus also came eating and drinking. And as you read through Luke's gospel, he does so much of that that actually Luke says of Jesus in verse 34 of Luke 7, the Son of Man came eating and drinking. And you say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. The way Jesus spent his time who he was at the table with, confused people because he came eating and drinking, so much so that people were confused. They thought he was a, a glutton or a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, the unworthy people at the time. So Jesus spent much of his time with unworthy people in unworthy homes, around unworthy tables, eating and drinking. See, for Jesus, hospitality, both giving and receiving, was a huge part of his ministry, the tables and meals he shared, showed what he thought was important. 
but it showed particularly who he thought was important. And it's interesting when we think about that, because if we think about the hospitality industry in Sydney, because hospitality is such a huge industry for Sydney, and, you know, Sydney bosses hospitality. It's, it's a wonderful place to live in the sense that hospitality is, 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 is amazing. It's, it's experience, it's creativity and celebration. It's arguably among the best in the world. And we get to enjoy the fruits of that. But hospitality also has an ironic flip side, doesn't it, in Sydney? See, hospitality can be exclusive. It's possible that, that it's only the mobile and the cashed up who can, can enjoy its benefits. There's a sense in which it can be snobbish. There's ins and outs, do's and don'ts. It can be superficial. The meal and the company are just part of a bigger me project of marketing myself by curating and recording our experiences as we take photos of meals and the company and the places that we've been. So hospitality is wonderful, but at the same time there's this flip side. And today I want us to think about our tables. So we've seen Jesus, we've seen Sydney, what about us? Our meals, our hospitality. I want to put it to you that our tables reflect our hearts. What we do at them, and particularly who we share them with, reflects what we think is important and who we think is important. So as we think this week about the habit of hospitality, of sharing the table, it's going to be helpful for us to get our categories right and then to explore why we should show hospitality and how we can share hospitality. They're the three themes we'll be looking at in the outline tonight. So the first one, get our categories right. What is hospitality? Well, hospitality in the New Testament, the Greek word for it, hospitable, is philo-xenon, it's, it's, it's a compound word, it's, it's love and stranger, so it's love of strangers. That's what hospitality is, love of strangers. Uh, one author says that in the day before the Holiday Inn, Christians were expected to extend hospitality to, to visiting believers or itinerant preachers. They would have feed them and they would give them a place to sleep. But the word hospitality goes beyond that. It seems to include all other forms of meeting the needs and caring for others, welcoming them into your home. So at its heart, hospitality is a, is a willingness to invite others into your home. And if we were to kind of think metaphorically, it's a willingness to invite others into your heart somewhat as well. So notice what it is not here. Hospitality is not entertaining. And what we'll see is that there's much more to it than that. But hospitality, it's all over the Bible as you start to scratch the surface on the theme. Hospitality features centrally to the behaviour of God's people. Uh, but it begins with God being the hospitable one. God is described as Israel's host in the Promised Land. They are guests there in his land. And this was to shape their behaviour as those who had been rescued and hosted in a place, they were then to be hospitable to the nations around them. And you see that in the Old Testament law. There's an emphasis in the law particularly about welcoming the stranger, making provision for those who are seeking refuge, caring for those who have needs. And we see as we keep moving along the Bible story that even Rahab uh, is saved, Rahab the prostitute is saved because in her faith is expressed 
through hospitality as she helps out the Israelite spies. Hospitality is, is all through the Old Testament, but then it kind of takes real focus in the New. Peter writes to all Christians and he says, offer hospitality without grumbling. Paul tells the whole congregation in Rome that they must practice hospitality. So there's an imperative force to it. We are to do this. The author of Hebrews says, do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. And then he says, for by doing so, some of you have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. That's a crazy thought, isn't it? Then Paul instructs Timothy to extend the church's benevolence to the widow if she has shown hospitality. There's an expectation upon God's people. And Jesus himself said that we will be judged on the basis of our hospitality. He says in Matthew 25, for when we love and welcome others, actually we love and welcome him. So you can see that hospitality features centrally to the behaviour of God's people. It's a central theme throughout the storyline of the Scriptures. And so as we think about this theme of welcoming strangers and unpacking what that looks like, a posture of our hearts towards others and welcoming others in, we must feel the kind of force of the command to show hospitality. See, hospitality is not the gift of some, even though some might be very good at it. It's an expectation of all God's people It's not just for certain personality types, maybe the extroverts amongst us, though some people might find it easier. No, it's a normative Christian habit to give and receive care for Christian brothers and sisters, but then to extend that, to welcome the stranger. It's interesting as you read uh, John's Gospel, I think we touched on this last week when it was talking about a way in which we demonstrate the Gospel is by our commitment to one another. Jesus speaks about it in John 13. This is how you know you're my disciples, if you love, the world will know that you're my disciples, if you love one another. And there's something powerful about the way in which we love one another as a community, demonstrates to the watching world the kind of God we follow, the kind of kingdom he's called us into. But Jesus says in, in Matthew 5 that those, you know, if, if, if you love those who love you, well, what... What good is that? Even, even the unbelievers do the same, says Jesus in Matthew 5. But showing kindness to others, showing hospitality to the stranger, now that's something countercultural and distinctive. See, our love for one another is a powerful apologetic, but sharing the table goes even further. And we'll explore some of those themes later. But as we come to think about hospitality, welcoming the stranger, sharing our table... I don't know about you, but it can be a kind of exhausting thought, can't it? With our lives, where we're at, how busy we are. Because it's a cost. Hospitality is a cost. It's a cost to our time. It's a cost to our, to our comfort. It's a cost to our energy, our resources, our finances. And so as we think about hospitality and the command to do so, under our own strength, it can be an exhausting thought. So how is it that we can do it? Well, we'll look at how later, but, but a strong way in which we can think about how we can do it is to think about why we should do it. We need a compelling reason to do so, a why beneath the what, as it were. And that's what we see in the Scriptures. The second point, why show hospitality? Well, showing love to outsiders 
rings of a, a reshaped heart. It has the fingerprints of your heavenly Father all over, over it. And principally, why do, we, why do we share the table? Why do we extend our welcome out? Well, it's because we've been welcomed by God. Christians are to love the stranger because we've been loved by the Father when we ourselves were strangers. It's kind of the heart of the gospel. Listen to this in Ephesians 2. Remember that at that time, you were separate from Christ. Separate. You were excluded from citizenship in Israel, outside God's people, foreigners, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. That is what we were. Strangers, excluded, separate, But then Paul goes on, he says, But now in Christ, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. It's a beautiful picture, isn't it? We were outside excluded, we've been brought near. One author puts it this way, In Jesus we find ourselves now to be the enemy who has been loved, the sinner who is saved, the stranger who is welcomed. It's a wonderful picture. Now we see a wonderful picture of it in the parable that we read earlier, the parable of God's grace and his abundance in the banquet. This parable of of the the banquet, the great banquet, is, is in one sense, it's a picture of the future. It's a glimpse of the future, the new heavens and the new earth. And it's a feast, and and God is the host of this, this banquet. And who are included in this banquet? We read that it is the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. In one sense, it's it's the marginalized in society. The strangers are the ones very much included in this meal, seated at the table with God the host. And as you look at the Old Testament imagery, it really draws this out. So in Leviticus 21, we see that the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame... They could not enter the temple. That was a symbol of God's presence. And more than that, they they were unable to make offerings. But here we get this powerful, different picture. The poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame are seated at God's table before they were unable to make an offering. But here they are offered the finest of foods and drink in the banquet. It's a picture of the gospel And Tim Chester highlights that this is a picture of of us. For we, in this story, are the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame, urged to come join this great banquet. We are the, the spiritually poor. We have nothing to offer for our salvation. We are the the spiritually crippled. We're made powerless by our, our sin. We are the spiritually blind. We're unable to see the truth about Jesus. We are the spiritually lame. We're unable to come to God on our own. But in Jesus, we find ourselves now to be the poor, crippled, blind, and lame, seated at the table of the Father, offered the finest. Verse 21. This parable is an invitation. It's a picture of the gospel. J.C. Ryle, who was a bishop in the 20th century in Liverpool, he wrote this, a man prepared a great banquet and invited the guests. This is the gospel. 
It's a lovely picture of it. The host we see in verse 22 and 23 is not exclusive. All are welcome. There's plenty of seats at the table. Some refuse. Some set aside his offers with excuses. But we see that those who humble themselves gain entry. And the people in this parable are compelled to come because they can hardly believe that they've been invited. What qualifies them is is their brokenness, almost. This makes them a peculiar people, a people who know their own brokenness, but yet know that they are spiritually rich, welcomed and loved and blessed in Christ, seated around the table. The question is, is, have you received his invitation through the gospel? Or are you going to refuse this welcome to the banquet through the Son? So what is hospitality? Hospitality is love of stranger. It's, it's welcoming others in. Why do we show hospitality? Well, God shares his table with us. And so we are now to share ours with others. God has welcomed strangers, and so we welcome other strangers into our home and into our hearts. So how do we, how do we ground this as we move towards a fitting conclusion? How do we share hospitality? How do we, how do we share the table? Well, hospitality is loving strangers, and it comes at a cost. We've already mentioned that. Cost to our time, comfort, energy, resources, and finances. It sounds exhausting, so how, how can we do it? Well, firstly and primarily, we, we, we share our tables through the Spirit. See, we find ourselves now at the table because the Spirit who rose Jesus from the dead granted us life through the Son so that we are seated at the table. And this same Spirit is at work bringing new life into us, transforming us, the welcomed, into welcomers, the guests into hosts. So we can do nothing without the quickening work of the Spirit. We share our tables. How do we do that? We do it through the Spirit. So we must pray for His power to do that. But secondly, we we share our tables. How do we do it? We share our tables literally and liberally. Literally and liberally. Firstly, literally, in that we offer hospitality to others. We share our tables with others. I know this can be overwhelming, but it's important at this point to remember that hospitality is not entertainment. It's including people, not impressing people. So it may be less bourgeois and more beans on toast. I know bourgeois means middle class, but it's French, so it sounds fancy. (laughs) See, there are great ways that we can do this, Perhaps think about your own space, your own home. How could you make this easier? What are the obstacles for you? Perhaps it's buying disposable, yet recyclable, plates to have at your home. Perhaps it's freezing some meals or getting a slow cooker so it's not as much a hassle. Perhaps it's getting Uber Eats because that's the easier way that we can extend hospitality to others. Or perhaps it's combining forces with others. Perhaps you're in a, in a share house you're not able to host, but you can think creatively with others how we can be offering hospitality, sharing our tables with others. But there's other ways in which we can extend this posture of the heart, isn't there? It might be taking someone else out for a drink. It might be offering 
a coffee. It might be offering to take a meal to someone if you don't have your own space that you can host in. There's all kinds of creative ways that we can do this. So we are to share our ta tables, literally. But then we're to share our tables liberally, in the sense of we're to share them with people that are unlike us. If we were to read up in Luke's Gospel, in the first uh, couple of verses of chapter 14, we read that Jesus is dining, when he's saying this parable, at the Pharisee's house. And we get an idea of the, the host's guest list in verse 3. Verse 3 says, Jesus asked Pharisees and experts in the law. So, so who is at this meal? Who are the guests at this meal? Well, it's Pharisees and, and the teachers of the law. In short, they're, they're people like the host. Lawyers and Pharisees, people like him. And this is largely how society was based back then. It was like a gift and obligation system. So you, you would host a meal, but then it would be repaid. And Jesus touches on that in verse 12. Jesus says, When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sister, your relatives, or your rich neighbours. If you do, they may invite you back so that you will have to be, sorry, so that you will be repaid. Now, it seems like a strange little way of doing it, but it's highlighting the way that society worked then. It was a, it was a, a give and take system, which meant that principally people ended up socialising and eating with people like them. Now, much could be said there, but people ate with people like them. But the reality is, isn't it, that, that we tend to eat with people like them us. But Jesus goes on in verse 13, but when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. It's quite striking, isn't it? Now, now Jesus is speaking in hyperbole here. He's exaggerating his speech, so he's, he's not saying that you shouldn't have your mum and your best friend around for dinner. He's saying that you should not only have your mum and your best friend around for dinner. It's, a, it's, a, it's working by a different ethic. Jesus says we're to invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, people unlike us. Why? Because that's the ethic of grace that is at work. This was countercultural then, but it's equally countercultural now. It's striking, I was thinking about this, because we, we were in England for the Brexit vote, and I knew two people who voted leave. 17.5 million people voted leave. And it just, it just highlighted to me how small and like me my world was. It was a real rebuke to me. Because Jesus commands and demands of us that we collapse the difference. We should share our tables and meals with people very different from us. Different socially, politically, ethnically, temperamentally, and of all different ages. That is what life in the kingdom looks like. That is the peculiar community that God is forming in Christ. And we should let that sink in. And again, there's, there's great ways that we can actually do this. CityCare Lunch is a great way that we can do this. It's on, you know, we, we host this every couple of, 
every couple of months. And so if you want to think about how we can serve the rough sleepers and, and those in our community, well, come and speak to Sam or Alex about how we can do that, how we can actually express this in tangible ways. A practice in churches in England was to express this at Christmas time, was to invite people who had maybe no family or home to their tables. So they would have single mothers. Uh, one time there was Kurdish refugees or international students who didn't have a home or a place to celebrate Christmas, and so we include them into ours. Now, is that awkward? Absolutely. But it's a wonderful picture of the gospel. And what does Jesus promise? Because it comes with a promise. We will be blessed and repaid at the resurrection. But again, what does this, this posture of the heart look like? Well, it might mean initiating lunch or a coffee with a colleague that you don't usually spend time with, who's different from you. Or it might be that the spirit of this is applied as we think about welcoming as, as a church. We just don't default to the relationships that we're used to, but we seek to extend our welcome to others and we speak to others. So we are to... How do we do this? How do we share the table? Are we to do it through the Spirit? We're to do it literally and liberally. And thirdly and finally, to close, we are to share the table ethically and evangelistically. Firstly, ethically. Hospitality is a posture of the heart. We could describe it as a posture of welcoming strangers. And who were the strangers in, in the Scriptures? Well, they were those people who were excluded or marginalised in our societies. Who are those people that society neglects or ignores? So I was trying to think through this. You know, it could be the rough sleepers, the refugee, the unborn, disabled, children. This is striking with children. I remember working, I worked part-time at a cafe in, in London where they had, um, they had a jar for the do dog treats for the cafe customers who came with dogs, but you know, children weren't tolerated because, you know, they didn't behave like adults. And so it's an interesting thing that even in, in our society where we, we love our children, but we can also communicate that they're not welcome unless they behave like us. But then the elderly as well. What do we do with, with the elderly? Well, we want to keep them out of view because they remind us of our own mortality in one sense. In nursing homes... But we are to be communities that welcome the stranger. So this is a, there's an ethical imperative for that for us here. And, and, and again, there's great opportunities that we have to, to, to welcome the stranger. You can, you can talk to those who are, who are different from you. There's opportunities to serve them, like on the kids' ministry, or hopefully we'll get something up and running for kids and youth here as well in time. Um, it's, it's, it's deliberately thinking about the marginalised the neglected, the excluded. James elaborated on this, so I won't mine down too deeply on it, but it's, it's helpful for us to think through. And finally, we, we share the table evangelistically. See, it's, it's a posture of the heart in the way that we share the gospel as well. See, we are inviting in the stranger, we're welcoming them into our space in the hopes that we bring Jesus into theirs. So we welcome and invite the stranger into our space, welcoming others into our space in the hopes of bringing Jesus into theirs. And I think hospitality is actually a powerful paradigm for us to think through how we share the gospel in a kind of post-Christian world. Notice in the um, third reading, Acts 18, Priscilla and Aquila uh, have 
Apollos back into their home. And through meaningful conversation, they open their home and their hearts and, and the scriptures, as it were, with Apollos to tell him about a fullness to the message of Jesus that he didn't have. And, it, you know, it might be going out on a run with this, but there's a powerful paradigm there in how we can share the gospel. We can seek to, to welcome others in in the hopes of bringing Jesus into their lives. And there's, there's great many ways that we can do this. Just a few to close. We can take meaningful initiative. So we can invite a friend out for a meal or a coffee or into our home, and then we seek to have meaningful conversation with them. So we ask them questions about their life and story, and then we meaningfully share about our own story and Jesus and maybe even open the Bible with them. It's about having meaningful invitations, perhaps, asking them to come to church or, or can I pray for you? Do you want to read the Bible? It's a, it's a powerful thing to read the Scriptures with someone or an invitation to Alpha. Alpha is designed as, as a meal and conversation about which we think about life and faith. We hope to run next year a series of, of talks engaging life and faith, and so that might be an easy invitation. You're welcoming people into our space in the hopes of bringing Jesus into theirs. But it's not just about bringing them into our space, these kind of brick walls, is it? Because we can have meaningful interaction. We can, we can bring people into our space in the sense of our community. That might be our homes, but it's also in the community that we share. And there's easy ways we can do this at celebrations like birthdays or barbecues or public holidays. Have people from the church community and friends and family from outside kind of cross-pollinate those worlds. There's activities, sport, theatre, book clubs, all kinds of things. Endless activities where we're not actually adding things to our diaries, but we're rather including others in them. They're just some ways in which we can think about thinking about hospitality and evangelism. But the point is we're inviting in the stranger, welcoming others into our space in the hopes of bringing Jesus into theirs. So this is more low and slow and, and soaked in prayer. What well, to close, what is the next step? What is the next step for you? Perhaps you can start to think it through with others. Um, maybe identify some of the obstacles that you might have. But, but the big point is start small. Start small. It might just be thinking about someone who's not like you and initiating conversation. It might be that you think, okay, in, you know, there's 21 meals in a week. That's 84 in a month. I'm not going to do the next jump because I can't. But that's a lot of meals. So why don't I just think, once a month, why don't I have one of those meals, one of those 84 meals, and include others in on it? Have meaningful conversation where we hear their story, share, maybe share about something from the Scriptures and ask them. Or perhaps there is an invitation that you could ask someone, come along to Alpha. There's all kinds of things. It requires probably us to think with creativity um, and to have courage and to think about our diaries. But by the Spirit, let's be praying that God forms us into the kind of people that love the stranger and welcome them in. So we began by saying that tables reflect our hearts. Remember, character is largely a bundle of habits. So through the habit, 
of sharing our table by the Spirit. It's a wonderful picture that God can actually reshape our hearts as well as we image the God who welcomes us in the stranger. Let's pray, and then Naomi's going to come and pray for us. Father, may these words be applied to our hearts by your Spirit for the cause of mission in our world. Amen.